Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today we're going to be talking USC football with Lindsay Theory of the LA Times. We're going to get to her and get to a bunch of your questions. If you have questions for us, please send them in. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. A couple ways you can leave us a voicemail. Call 641-715-3900 and our mailbox is 816-646. Leave a voicemail there or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and you can leave a voicemail right from your device. Of course, iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast over iTunes. Leave us some positive feedback. Leave us a five-star rating. That would be wonderful. And without further ado, I want to bring in Lindsay Theory. So she's a, a reporter for the LA Times covering USC and UCLA. You can also see her this football season on Fox Sports 1. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Lindsay Theory. What's up, Lindsay? How you doing? Right, I need to hire you to be my publicist. That was an amazing introduction. You know, you do like 500 podcasts or so, you kind of get used to doing these. Yeah, that was, that was great. You even put the Instagram in there. I mean, people get to see me and my mom and dad and the fun we get to have a couple times a year. That's awesome. So is it more of a personal Instagram? I'm not a big Instagram guy, but yours is more personal? Well, no, I, I share, like, during the football season, it, it's just a lot of work. Um, whenever I'm in at Fox, I'll, I'll share a post or whatever. But I also try to kind of include a little bit of my personality and what I like to do in my off time, which doesn't seem to come around very often. Yeah, not a lot of off days, at, you know, during fall camp, Lindsay, but we had a couple days off, which we thought would be nice, and then all of a sudden something happens at Salute to Troy and everyone's scrambling and it became a very busy weekend, extended weekend that we thought would be kind of relaxing. It did. I mean, those are kind of the two days you circle in your calendar where fall camp breaks. You know, you have two days to get life chores done before you really just get prepared to work every day until January. Um, so to uh, to work on Sunday and Monday, and obviously Steve Sarkeesian apologized to us like we wouldn't be working already. But I, I think it's a story that no one expected to be covering on those two days. However, given that Salute Troy did not go off a season ago without a hitch, I, there was a lot of, you know, joking. Oh, this is the, the uh, anniversary of the crazy Salute to Troy night. And uh, maybe this one turned out to be a little bit crazier, but, you know, in a far different circumstance. It definitely was. And it was a weird kind of day. And I wanted to set the kind of table. I know we, I've, we've talked about this on podcasts this week, and I know people sometimes are kind of sick of it. I've been doing radio, it seems like, all day, people calling, wanting to get updates. And, of course, they want to talk about this. Uh, but just, you know, you kind of had a unique, unique perspective. We were out there seeing what Steve mm-hmm. Sarkeesian was doing. He seemed like he wasn't in a great mood uh, on Saturday heading into no. the, what was going on. It just that, I mean, that seemed like he was, he didn't start off on the right foot going over to salute to Troy. No, you know, I think that Steve went into that scrimmage and, and I, I didn't get the sense uh, in talking with him after practice during the, the media availability, I didn't get the sense that um, they went into the scrimmage where he wanted his team to be. And obviously they weren't where they wanted him to be when the scrimmage ended. And, and obviously he kind of went in on his team before the scrimmage when they were stretching. Um, but he went pretty hard on them, telling them they needed to play a more physical brand of football every single day. And he seemed fired up from the get-go. 
And I think that he was hoping that would translate to a really great scrimmage, and it just didn't. And and so obviously he wasn't too happy when he spoke with us for just more than three and a half minutes at the end of practice. Yeah, and it was almost. And you were the one that ended up filming the late, the famous Lane Kiffin. Uh, I gotta go. Uh, where where, yeah. where our Dan Weber asked him just a question about. Khalid, like the offensive line was playing well. He asked him about Khalid Holmes. Is that because Khalid Holmes is back? And that, for whatever reason, set Lane Kiffin off because it was yep. injury related <laughs> and he just took off. So that it wasn't quite like that, but the end, it got to right. have the same feeling. Yeah, it was, it was abrupt and it was interesting because I've gone back just to watch it a few times and some questions he was so short on and then other questions, you know, he was more than happy to talk about for, for a minute. Uh, so it was just, it was kind of a, a weird flow of, of a press conference. And I know that, you know, if you're not in a press conference every day, that might sound a little odd to even say. But generally, you know, a tone is set and it flows along. If, if it's a bad day, every answer is short. If it's a great day, every answer couldn't be better. Um, so this was kind of an odd one in that he answered a few questions in great detail and others uh, just, I mean, he cut questions off halfway into the question to say yes or no. Yeah. It was very strange. And then, of course, we know kind of what happened on Saturday night. And I just want to give people some background. Uh, we will congratulate you being a one year at the LA Times. Uh, so Thank that's you. Cool. Uh, and so if people didn't know, Lindsay ran the USC Scout site before we got there uh, when we were at a different <laughs> network. And then she went over to yeah. the LA Times and now she's big time, got the blue check and all that stuff. So, but she's been that's over there tough. a year. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, yeah. So the one, so I guess the reason we, we wanted to have you on anyway, and I think we've had like Gary on before and, and some of the different, uh, writers that cover the team. Um, you had a mailbag post and we got a couple questions. Actually, people were asking me about something you had written. And I'm like, well, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't write that. I wasn't They're yeah. supposed to direct those into my mailbox for the mailbag. That's the point of the mailbag, guys. Come on. Yeah. So send, send Lindsay your questions. Don't send them to the Peristyle podcast, but we thought we'd have yeah. you on. And kind of discuss okay. to to kind of discuss this, um, and so sure. the the question came in. I'll I'll read it if that's okay. Um, uh-huh. From Crunch Time Trojan, he said, "You've been to both camps. Talk about USC and UCLA. Who is the more physical team, and who's had more physical practices, USC or UCLA?" And uh-huh. you said the short answer was UCLA, and I think that kind of sparked some of the questions that we had got uh, from them. So I don't know if you want to kind of explain what you were talking about there, and and because you've been out to both practices, I have not. I've only been to USC. You're right, and I have, I've been to both practices. I have been to far more USC practices than UCLA practices. So it's a smaller sample size over at UCLA. Um, and I do want to point out that in that question, he only asked, you know, the, the only question there I was addressing was who has looked more physical. So I know there's some people who are upset and whatnot, and that's, that's fine. Everybody has the right to be. But the only question that I was answering was, who is more physical? And, it, and it's UCLA. I was out in San Bernardino. And I know USC fans can all remember when the Trojans played the Bruins last season, and UCLA beat up USC physically. It wasn't hard to tell how they were able to do that. My very first practice in San Bernardino, I walked away and thought, Oh my gosh, those guys beat each other up out there and they all walk away from it. Um, obviously there's a few injuries here and there, but, but by and large, those guys hit each other, tackle each other. They 
compete against each other at such a level. And, and I was looking to at some of the other beat reporters who were there because every few minutes there was kind of another tussle when the pile got up. You know, there was one uh, fight where an assistant coach had to jump down on a player and hold him down and calm him down for a minute. And I'm not saying that fighting and tussles maybe just describe physicality, but I'm saying those guys are in each other's faces. They are hitting hard and they are aggressive every single play like that. And, and it's just, you can, you can almost like feed off of that intensity as it comes off of the field. Um, you know, you compare that to USC and they just don't hit like that during practice. They don't tackle like that during practice. Um, you know, they compete with each other. But they're not in each other's faces. And I think that really goes back to um, a season ago when USC played UCLA and you felt like USC was getting beat up. It's because those Bruins are out there beating each other up, you know, at practice. And USC, I just, when I watch, they're not, they're not out there beating each other up there. They're playing football and, and they're being nice to each other, it looks like. <laughs> a little nice, a little, uh, Gentle football, a little more than yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; they're practicing hard. I absolutely believe that the the players at USC are practicing hard. But I think practicing hard and giving it all of your effort is different than wanting to beat up the guy who's lined up across from you. Makes sense. Uh, well, the the reason, yeah. like we were saying, we're the, to have you on. I got a couple questions. One guy actually came from his cell phone, so I don't. He didn't leave a name when he sent in the uh, his question. It came in like five tech or messages over email. Um, but he said that, um, Jim Mora described that you described Jim Mora's practice as violent. And Sark said that he wanted USC to have a quote unquote bully mentality, but UCLA actually mm-hmm. does it. Uh, can one of you please tell Sark that the basketball school across town has more physically, a more physically violent team than he does? And can one, can one of you please tell him that is unforgivable? Thank you. So I don't know if you want to tell Sark that, but, um, that's, you know, I- <laughs> I think that I'm going to limit uh, my time with Keith Sarkeesian to asking questions and not making statements. But Ryan, you feel free. No, I don't. Yeah, it's not my thing. Uh, but I just wanted that. That was so. I just yeah. wanted to get some of the outrage that's from that. It's not like people were mad at you. They were mad that how can UCLA have you know more of that killer mentality than USC does? That's that's why right. some of the fans are mad. Well, I mean, that, that's been Jim Moore's MO since he retired at UCLA, wasn't it? He walked in there and said, you know, we're not going to be the gutty little Bruins anymore. We are, we are going to build a monster. We're going to build, I don't want to say mean. I, I never heard Jim say mean kids, but, but he wants them to play violently. And, uh, and, and I think he's done that. He's accomplished that in four years. Uh, and that took time. It wasn't always like that. You know, UCLA has beat USC for three years, but I think it was really, last season when they just set themselves apart and they've only continued to get stronger from that and uh, and I know Steve's working on making a making a bully culture at USC but it just doesn't really seem like it's clicked yet and and in, in you know not in Steve's defense but Steve's argument could be hey it's, it's been a season and, and not even into a second season so it takes time and I guess the Jeff had the final question on this as far as what's going on here he said do you think the disparity between the Bruins and the Trojans is still that big, and is Sark making any progress in making the Trojans play with that bully mentality he often talks about? Do I still think the, the gap is that big between the Bruins and the Trojans? As in, does he still think that it's going to be like UCLA blowout this year? Well, I just, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess. Well, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that USC obviously has the bodies in place this year. They have some really big kids. They have some kids that have an incredible will to win and a will to succeed. Um, but I, I think that, and I do, I think USC has, in the long run, they do have superior athletes. They get superior recruits. But I think that UCLA is, there's just something about them tangibly. Obviously, they're very physical, but there's also like an intangible mindset that they have that they're just going out there to crush USC. And, and you know what? US, UCLA doesn't show up like that for everybody. I mean, we've all watched them, you know, just get rolled over by Stanford. Yeah. But their mentality against USC is, is they have a chip on their shoulder, and, and I think they've embraced that Bruin culture, and they're they're really kind of going after the Trojans. They're tired of being the second team in town when, when they've beat USC for the last three years. And I, for that reason, I do think this is a very important. Uh, it, you know, we know it's an important year for USC. We know it's an important year for Steve Sarkeesian. It it only got, uh, you know, it's only been increased because of what's happened over the last few days or over the weekend. Uh, but this one's really important because I think that you saw from week to week what can happen in college football when UCLA was as high as you could be for that game. USC didn't show up, got beat up, like you said, and pushed around. And then USC mm-hmm. go, the next week goes and beats up a Notre Dame team. There was, you know, there right. were some injuries and stuff. And UCLA, it looks like they, you know, they, they left it all the field the week in. before. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it also goes to show you that the USC UCLA game is just something different. And, and so in that, even in that question, to compare the two camps or to compare the physicality of the team, it's, it's they're different teams and there's different cultures and they have different ways of doing things. Um, you know, but it's, it's a classic rivalry that none of that really matters when they play each other. Um, but uh, I think it's mattered a little bit more to, to UCLA than it has to SC. And, and I think not that that SC has, is the only game they think of, but I know a lot of those kids over there, um, beating USC just means more than any other game. For sure. And I, and, and to, you know, on the, the camp side, I know going out to San Bernardino, we talk to like, you know, the guys over at Bro or any, if you talk to the Brew and Beat Riders, it's kind of a pain in the butt to go, and you've done it, go out to, to yeah. San Bernardino. Not easy. Not an easy drive. No. And it's not necessarily like the formula that's going to work for everyone. When you're taking a team that was like the gutty little Bruins and you're trying to instill, uh, you know, a little sense of toughness, I think that's something you can do. I mean, we saw Paul Hackett go down to Irvine and all the players hated it. They'd ran three a days down there. And it was terrible. It just didn't work for at least that that kind of a culture of a USC team. Pete Carroll did not do that. He had everything on campus. Obviously, that worked well. So I think it depends on mm-hmm. the personality of the head coach and the personality of the team. So I'm not sure if that would even work for USC going out to the Inland Empire or something like that. Yeah, you know, every every team has its culture, and, and every head coach has his stick. Uh, for Jim Mora, you know, obviously that's what he felt the Bruins needed, that they couldn't you know, sit in plush Westwood and, and develop the mentality he wanted. And, and I know several of the pro players and in coaches and people around the Bruins program don't necessarily enjoy the two weeks in San Bernardino, but they continue to go back because it's continued to yield results for them. And, and as long as something's working, why change it? Um, you know, so at SC, I, I think it's a different culture. I don't know if you need to go to San Bernardino, but if this Maybe you start to consider something like that if if this season doesn't yield the results that uh, you expect. 
Um, well, I want to touch one more thing on UCLA since some news was breaking just today that Jim Mora announced that um, Josh Rosen would be the starting quarterback, the true freshman, the five-star mm-hmm. kid from San John Bosco. He's going to talk to the media once and then not for the rest of the year, which is kind of crazy. But I want to get your thoughts. Whoa, that's crazy, huh? Yeah. So I don't know if you had saw that. just like broke within the last hour or two. So I figured, yeah, it's a podcast. Right, I haven't been updating my Twitter. I, I was on the road, and now I'm talking to you. But, man, this is what happens when you step away from Twitter for an hour, right? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, any thoughts? that I mean, People expected him to kind of win the starting spot, but I don't know if you felt any differently or what you thought about it. Yeah, you know, I expected Josh to. And, and I think Jerry Neuheisel would would run a sufficient offense. Um, but at the end of the day, Jerry is not a heads and shoulders above everybody else kind of quarterback. And Josh Rosen, and he he might not look heads and shoulders above right now, but his ceiling is so incredibly high. And you know, even just the way he can, he holds himself out there at practice among the upperclassmen. Um, you know, Josh Rosen has an incredibly bright future ahead of him. And uh, I don't want to say it was a no-brainer decision, but I don't I don't get the sense there was ever really a competition. And I think that. Uh, as Jim Moore kind of tried to hold the narrative that there was, it was obviously to to create some sort of adversity for Josh Rosen and make him earn it because the last thing you really want is a five-star recruit to walk in and, and be handed a job. I mean, that doesn't uh, that doesn't help everybody on the team. That doesn't help your backup quarterback. Um, and, and at the end of the day, that's what an entitled entitled kid. Instead, you kind of make him at least faux earn it, and that's what Josh apparently had to do, right? Yeah, and uh, you know he he got berated a little bit by Jim Mora, but you know eventually earned the job. We kind of expected that to happen. I'm curious to see mm-hmm. what happens this year. I mean, they got a lot of talent coming back. With true freshman quarterback, he's got all the talent in the world too. Just how how they going to manage him? How's he going to work out? I'm curious how you have a true freshman quarterback that you don't make available to the media. He's mature enough to run a football team. Uh, how is he not? Well, I don't want to say I don't want to assume that that's why, but how is he not available to talk to the media? Like that's that's the new face of your program, right there. Yeah, and that's one of the things, and we've seen some restrictions, but I I think USC does a good job in that. When you make players available, I do feel it helps prepare you more for the NFL. When you see guys on NFL Network during the draft and talking about things. Usually, if they're coming from USC, they're fairly well spoken. They've they've done zillions of interviews from all of us before, so it seems to help them kind of develop as people. And what you have to talk in front of cameras and microphones, they seem to do a good job of that because they get a lot of practice. Yeah, it's amazing. You probably know this when national writers come to USC, or even when those USC players go to the Senior Bowl or they go to uh, the Combine. You, I, I tend to get a handful of texts from from other reporters and say, wow, those USC guys, you guys had it really good covering that team because those guys are great at talking to the media. And uh, I think part of that is really that at SC, that's the culture, that those guys talk to the media every day. They're available to talk every day. Um, you know, I, I do think that this season has been interesting that we have yet to talk with those guys who enrolled last January. I mean, Ricky Town came and went, and we never even got a word on the record with him, right? Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see as, as you know, ch- changes evolve with uh, Steve Sarkeesian as the coach, what that availability is going to be. But hopefully USC kind of continues to be USC in that sense and make all those players available because at the end of the day, uh, I think a lot more good than, than any negative comes from it for, for everybody involved. 
with uh you know a couple weeks or so into camp and you know now getting getting into game preparation any anything surprise you of what you saw out there um any anything kind of different than what you expected coming into fall camp you know i'm really surprised about the rotations i i tried to track a lot of these rotations and find some sort of pattern but uh, in the secondary and especially a linebacker they're really just throwing a lot of combinations of guys out there. And then I, I was surprised to see that. I was surprised to see that it wasn't just Anthony Sorrow and then, you know, Lamar Dawson and plug in whoever throws it to Lamar since he's been out with that rib injury. But I've been surprised to see that it hasn't really appeared to be a traditional first team, second team at linebacker, corner, and, and safety. That it's really been a constant rotation. You can tell, you know, who the starters are on the D line, but then behind them it's, it's kind of just, it's been a very evolving uh, rotation of bodies. It has. And, you know, I they brought in that defensive class that had five defensive linemen, four linebackers, four guys in the secondary that you could have rolled those out there as at the starters, you know. And at times you would see like an all-freshman secondary out there or all-freshman mm-hmm. group of linebackers, which, I mean, you could have never have done that before. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they're just kind of playing around with it. But it, it's, it's kind of neat to see like first-team defensive linemen kind of going with you know third team uh guys in the secondary just playing things out it, it is and, and i think that uh that's going to uh be interesting to see how that works out i mean does that mean that your first team guys didn't get enough reps to to really gel with the starters or does that mean that when you do need to call on these rotations that this is going to be a well-oiled machine and anybody can play next to anybody and um you know, that they are obviously going to be fresher going into the fourth quarter. So it's going to be interesting to see just how these rotations that really we haven't seen at USC in, in years will play out. Where do you uh, stand on the depth side? Because people ask me a lot, and I do feel that for this team to be better, they have to be more aggressive, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Having more depth, mm-hmm. I think, allows them to do that. Do you think Steve Sarkeesian and Justin Wilcox will be more aggressive this year using the depth that they have? They better be, <laughs> right? USC can't lose any more fourth quarter games in the fashion that they did last year. I, I can I can only imagine they would. I mean, it's the thing about the depth is I think the depth is there, but there's not a lot of experience there. So there's I think there's going to be some trial by fire with throwing some of those freshmen into the heat and seeing if they sink or swim. Uh, but I think that they're they're going to have to really go into their depth and, and see because that can't be an excuse anymore that they don't have the depth. They do have the depth. It's just young. And, you know, maybe these first few games are a chance to get those young players in so they can get the butterflies out of their stomach. And uh, so USC can really develop a strong rotation of players so they can play as aggressive as possible every single play and not feel like they need to take a few plays off in order to be ready for what's coming later in the game. Yeah, obviously it's a lot easier if you feel comfortable with the second line. You can throw those guys in there. That's how you take a break, not by mm-hmm. slowing the game down not, or not. <laughs> yeah, not slowing the game down and, and not saying, okay, this play I'm going to take off. Hopefully, you know, hopefully they, they don't throw the ball if they're in the secondary or hopefully if you're on the line, you know, you don't have to put, you hope that the quarterback blows it before you really have to charge at him. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, well, right? we, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, well, we had a couple questions too that were just non, that weren't about this, the, the mailbag piece. If you want to take a shot at them, it's fun to answer questions on the podcast if you're cool with it. Uh-huh, I'm cool with it. It's, it's fun. It's like your mailbag. We'll just do it, you know, on the podcast thing. Um, podcast 
Yeah. Stephen Virginia had a question. He said, with the two fastest receivers from 2014 gone, Nelson Aguilar and George Farmer, who do you see becoming USC's primary deep threat in the 2015 passing game? And is there any chance that Dory Jackson is used in this capacity? Thanks and fight on, Steve in Virginia. Stephen Virginia, I like your question. It's a great question. Yeah. Okay, so I think a deep threat, um, you know, I, I know that Darius and Juju don't have the speed that George and Nelson had, but I think you run those guys down the field at some point because there's a jump ball, they're going to win, and then they're going to keep on running. I think, I don't know that a Dory Jackson is a deep threat. I don't know that you use him like that. Isn't he kind of a guy that you take on a short pass and, and then his legs do the, do the real burning there? And of course, he could always just beat the entire secondary into the end zone, sit down there for five seconds while everyone tries to catch <laughs> up to him. Um, that's how fast he appears. Um, but I, I don't think, you know, George Farmer, and, and I think he should have gotten more opportunities last season to, to prove this, but I don't know that you have a deep threat that was like him, but I, I think any of those guys really can can burn anybody down the field. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, you know, I I, I agree. I think you might see a Dory Jackson go on like a flyer out and catch him de- and try to stretch a defense, but I, I agree with you. Most of his damage is probably going to be catching the shorter passes in space and making people miss. Steven Mitchell's mm-hmm. kind of an X factor to me. I, the same sort of thing with him. He's a guy that can take a five yard pass and turn it an 80 yard bomb. So they might, their deep threats might be more of the short passes that they take, get athletes in space and let them make a long play as opposed to just kind of, you know, Oakland Raiders style, just going down the field and hucking the ball as far as you can. Yeah, and here's the thing. Unless the offense looks different than what we've been seeing in a lot in practice or what we've seen in the last season, USC doesn't, and Cody Keffer, he doesn't really open it up and just chuck it downfield, right? Yeah, not too much. I mean, he's he's not like, he's different different than Wittick, where Wittick would kind of strong arm a lot of things. I, I think Kessler has pretty good touch on the deeper ball, but there's going to be, There'll be more air under those balls too. It's not like he's gonna, you know, throw a dart down the field. There'll be a little bit of air under it, but um, I mm-hmm. can see them doing that a little. But I'm not sure, like you said, if that's gonna be the primary function of the offense. Yeah, I could just throw the ball down more downfield more this training camp than maybe I've seen in the past. But I, I just think that Cody's bread and butter is kind of those uh, intermediate passes and some of the short passes of the sideline where it's a catch and run situation. Yeah, I think that. I think a lot of the yards USC gets this year will probably be of that variety. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Um, Dan- we do love those long touchdowns. Gosh, those are fun. <laughs> those are kind of fun to see. Um, right. Well, I know we all look down at our laptops and start typing a lot faster when those happen. Like, Come on. Uh, you you know you could see like a, a Dominic Davis too in the run game. He could be your your deep threat. Um, he's, he's really another guy that could make people miss in space and he's been fun. Mm-hmm. He's definitely been fun to watch this fall camp. Yeah. Multi-dimensional guy. And I think all three of those freshman tailbacks they brought in are going to be fantastic. I mean, Ronald Jones has been a lot of fun to watch. Um, Aka Cedric Ware, I watched him in that scrimmage a couple times, uh, during his runs and, and no matter how many bodies are on him, he did whatever he could to keep those legs going forward. So I, I think there's a lot of freshman talent there that, that USC fans can be excited about for years to come. Certainly. Um, well, we got Daniel has a question too, and then we'll, uh, we'll let you go. We'll wrap it up. Uh, let's see. It says, it seems like this year's teams will rely heavily on true freshmen, which you just mentioned to fill starting mm-hmm. positions. Maybe not that position, uh, perhaps even more so than under Lane Kiffin. Is there any concern about the inexperience heading into next week's game or has Sark adequately prepared 
the team. True freshman starting. I don't, you know, I'm just running through a depth chart in my head. Ryan, I don't know that there are going to be any true freshmen starting. Perhaps Marvell Pell back there in the secondary. Yeah, like. But other than that, I don't really see any. Maybe Porter Gustin, but that's more so because he is skilled and ready to start. Maybe Osa Messina at some point. But I don't know that any true freshmen are going to be thrown in there because there's no other option. It's going to be because they've earned that spot. I agree with you. And I think that it's this big recruiting class fills up that too deep well. And I think mm-hmm. there were some walk-ons in some spots and it just wasn't a very, there was too deep where one guy would be in two spots. Like you don't have to do that anymore. Um, but as far as coming in, like maybe a Tyler Petit, but it looks like Connor Spears will be the starter. Uh, like you said, Marvell Tell, uh, maybe one of the defensive linemen if, if Antoine Woods and Claude Pilon continue to, to have injuries. I mean, there's possibilities there, but it, to me, it's more about the two deep kind of filling out than really you need these freshmen to all start right away. Right. I, that's exactly what I think. And I think that you do try to get some of those D linemen in, some of those linebackers. There's no doubt in my mind that Marvell Tell and Ikele Ross are, are going to see some time on defense. Um, because you obviously need them in the rotation this year. And I know coaches take it one game at a time, yada, 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 coach speak. <laughs> but you've got to start getting those guys on that defense experience, especially on that defensive line, because you can't lose all these defensive linemen this year and then throw a whole brand-new batch of starters out. So on, on the line, I think a couple of guys are bound to red shirt, but I think there's definitely a couple of guys that are bound to get thrown in the mix. No, but I, not, not as starters. I just I don't see starting happening for, for many freshmen this year. Yeah, no, and that's a great point because people talk about you need to get Max Brown reps because he's got to start against Alabama next year. So he might come in in games where it's more meaningful uh, that he wouldn't have mm-hmm. last year. But yeah, I think the same thing, like you said, on the defensive line, you lose, was it, five senior defensive linemen or whatever it is? I mean, yeah. they're all gone. So you need those younger right. guys to, to get some reps. Right, and, and I think they'll be in the position this year in a couple of these games at least for those guys to really get some solid time under their belt. And, you know, even if you're playing what would be considered an inferior opponent, it's still going to be a better opponent than they line up against in high school. So as much as you can get those guys, I think it's going to be valuable time to use them. All right. Well, Lindsay Theory, LA Times for USC and UCLA. You can see her on Fox Sports 1 this football season. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Lindsay Theory. Lindsay with an E. T-H-I-R-O-N. Yeah. E crowd. Yeah, not the Lindsay with an A. So don't go to Lindsay. Is there a Lindsay theory with an A? It, I, there might be. I'm just learning because of Twitter that there's actually a lot of people with a last name theory, which I thought uh, my family was the only ones in the world. Apparently, I was a little naive to think that. Wow, I, I've, I haven't met another theory. It's interesting. I did yeah, not there's, know that. There's apparently, yeah, you go on the internet. You can find all find all kinds of things, Ryan. Well, you can do a, someone should make a Lindsay theory with an A, and they, she could be like your. Uh, nemesis on twitter or something that would be kind of fun maybe that sounds like something on your parasol message board that they could have fun making fun of me with they could, yeah i think they love you lens there, there was some there was definitely some <laughs> criticism uh about yeah, this I, I heard about some of that ryan your message board is so famous like where it gets around it does yes we had to end up having lock a Lindsay theory thread that you know it kind of got out a yeah. little, you know, so there, uh, that kind of stuff happens, but I think. Please the, tell, please tell all those fine, uh, fine members that I said a big hi and hello. And, um, I'm not going to beg for a second chance with them, but I'm glad to know they're out there. Well, yeah, good. You can, uh, you can represent 
the LA Times, give a little shout out to the Peristyle, and they will. I think they'll. Uh, we'll have them email you or tweet you and stuff. So we'll see what kind of. I hope you get some love on the Twitter accounts or the Instagrams. I welcome all feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. Sweet. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay, for taking some time and uh, talking about USC football. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Ryan. All right. You've been listening, everybody, to the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks to Lindsay Theory for coming on the show. And thank you all for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.